And Dominion Fire 360 is on, my friends. Million here with you, M-I-L-L-I-A-N, your ministry provocateur, iconoclast, firebrand, and the resident heretic here at Dominion Fire, welcoming you to another episode of Dominion Fire 360, where we talk about all stuff in the kingdom today. And with another interview today from a brand new book that is out, there's a book called The Secrets to Deliverance, Defeat the Toughest Cases of Demonic Bondage. Now, if you've operated in any form of deliverance ministry, you know that this thing is, this thing's weird. Let's be, let's be very blunt about that. And it's very easy with a lot of things we do for any kind of prayer or healing or prophetic, anything like that, to get into that element of formulas. Well, here's the thing you got to remember is that if you keep, if you're in a fight and you keep doing the same move, eventually the enemy catches on to it and learns how to counter it. So there's an element of modern day deliverance where we've asked the same questions. We've done the same things. We've said the same things. But our guest today is going to point out to us why that's not necessarily the best thing. He's going to talk about a revelation that he got and share some stories with us. So let's get right into it. Joining us today from the Bronx, hey, New York, Alexander Pagani. Welcome. It is a pleasure to have you here. How are you? I'm excited to be here and looking forward to having a interesting conversation and dialogue about the ministry, or at least the updated and upgraded uh, Ministry of Deliverance for 2018. So I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. Let's take us into the next decade here. What I want to ask you about is in your book, you were saying that you have been like three, four hundred of these sessions. But let's talk about the actual thing that happened. Can you walk us through a testimony of a session that you've had where something kind of weird has happened, crazy has happened? Like, give us give us something that'll like kind of blow our minds a little bit. What do you got? Well, one day, you know, I was uh, traveling in Holland. I was doing a deliverance conference in in Holland, in the Netherlands. And during uh, my message or teaching, I'm sitting in the green room, true story, I'm sitting in the green room, and all of the equipment in the church, the whole building is malfunctioning. Like, they had never had that happen. Like, the equipment was, electricity had went out, uh, the microphones weren't working, the batteries had been replaced, the batteries were turning off, and while I'm in the office, I hear the Holy Spirit say, you're going to confront the spirit of Jezebel. Totally changed my message, Um, and I never do that. I never talk about or teach on Jezebel when I'm an invited speaker. I usually just teach about deliverance and help people either get free or learn about the, the, the strategies of deliverance. So I'm sitting there, okay, God, you're going to have me change this, this whole message. I go outside, you know, uh, the pastor and the congregation is sort of bewildered because they don't know what to do. They've never encountered this level of attack. And while I'm teaching about Jezebel, just very calmly, a witch, a witch literally jumps up in the middle of nowhere, screams or shrieks at the top top of her lungs in the middle of of my teaching, jumps in front of me um, and starts doing an African, like some kind of African dance, like going from side to side <laughs> all across the altar. Did <laughs> it start raining by any chance? <laughs> no, it didn't. It did. It did not. But everyone in everyone in the church felt like they did because nobody knew <laughs> they didn't know how to they did, literally didn't know what to do. And for a second there, I was startled, and I I, for, I didn't know what to do. At least initially in that in that moment, you know, because it just literally just came out of nowhere. So while she's literally doing African dances, she contorts. True story. God is God is bearing witness in my conscience. She starts to transform into like like with gorilla features, like her facial features authentically begin to contort. And she took on some sort of like a, like a silverback gorilla ape type of uh, form and begins to 
beat her chest like a gorilla, like when a gorilla's challenging somebody, you know? So I'm standing there, and I'm kind of a little bit freaked out, a little bit like, okay, Lord, this this, this some next-level stuff. So the authority of the Holy Spirit just hit me at that moment. I, don't, I, I literally didn't have too much to think about it, but what I did was I... She ran towards me, literally, to jump on me, and I run towards her. Like, literally, it was a confrontation. I run towards, instead of running away from, looking for an armor bearer, I run too. And she runs to me. And then I stop, and she goes to jump on me, and literally, some supernatural force stops her with, like, six inches of my face. She couldn't move. She's stiff as a board, just standing there. And then just continues to uh, do the African dance. So finally, Joshua chapter 1 comes in my mind at that moment where the Bible says, uh, wherever I place the sole of my feet, God will give it to me. So what I do is I make an invisible line on the floor, like a, like a barrier with my feet. And I said, you unclean spirit of Jezebel and witchcraft, you will no longer move from side to side. You're going to stay within the boundaries of this circle here. And I circle her. And the demon can no longer move side to side. It's jumping up and down. And then I say, Holy Spirit, bring deliverance to bring deliverance within this circle. And as God is my witness, the the power of God just shows up and demons start coming out and manifesting, calling their names out. And the at this point the ushers are a little bit more bold because, you know, they were a little bit nervous at that time at that moment when, when it fit first happened. So um she's releasing these demons or whatever the case may be. And then I realized that this confrontation had taken a little bit away from the service. Like this had gone on for like maybe seven minutes, you know, and I realized, okay, the demon's not going to control the service. So then I just say, someone bring me a timer, bring me an iPad or something. And I want you to get a a, a clock. We're going to count down five minutes. I order you, you unclean principality. You're going to leave within five minutes. And we're going to continue on this service. And I started counting down. And as each, as each minute uh, went by, I started, but through discernment of spirits, calling out various, uh, you know, demons that were there. And they were all, all coming out. When it got to like about maybe 30 seconds, I said, you got 30 seconds to leave. Goodbye, goodbye. And at, literally at one second, she dropped to the floor completely supernaturally healed, got up, the place went out of the praise, and it just literally set the course for the rest of the deliverance conference. I happened to speak to this lady after the service because she wanted to meet me. And I, when I spoke to her, she had told me that she had been searching for freedom for 40 years because a pastor put a curse, a pastor who was into witchcraft put a curse on her, and she had gone down that trail and ended up in like a mixture of Christianity and the occult, and she had been inability to get set free for 40 years, and when she heard that I was coming through social media promotion, she just went to the service and apologized for the manifestation, and she got supernaturally supernaturally set free. Her name is Yolanda, um, and the only reason I'm saying her name is because the video of this encounter is on my timeline on Facebook. So that's one story that I could say that sticks out more than a lot. I have a, multiple stories, but that one sticks out that a witch got set free through the Ministry of Deliverance.
Yeah, and listeners, as we were talking about before we started recording, you know, the enemy always overplays his hand. And there's, we have so many interviews about, like, witches and stuff that try to confront, and they just get their clock cleaned as soon as the power of God shows up. And it's like, why right. would you do that, man? You know, so right. it shows you the level of deception these people are up against thinking you're going to beat this thing and you're not, you know? So, but that's, that's such a great story. And this whole deliverance um, ministry and just a deliverance concept. It, it's become so difficult in recent years. And we had an instance where there was a young man that me and my team were working on for like four or five hours. And, you know, this guy's rolling on the floor like a Doberman with a bone. And this thing just wouldn't let go. And I was thinking, right. my, and in my discernment back in my head is like, I'm missing something. Something's not right here. I'm doing all right. the stuff I was taught to do and saying all the right things. And it's working to a degree but it's not where I want. So in and of this whole thing, you know, deliverance ministry has, in my opinion, become difficult recently, but you also got a revelation about it too. So kind of tie those two together for us. Well, as we were talking off air, what I was saying was, is that the reason why um, I wrote this book is not because I'm someone special who received some sort of, you know, new revelation. Actually, it's the, it's the story of my own freedom, of me seeking deliverance throughout the years, going to various deliverance ministries, deliverance services, and reading uh, some of the older deliverance books that were pioneering books, and realizing that it wasn't working. At least it wasn't working for the demons that I was dealing with. So that's kind of like how it started for me, was I'm seeking my own freedom, and I'm getting delivered from the normal stuff like rejection and loneliness and, you know, um, abandonment. But I realized that I was dealing with other things that might not necessarily have been that more. I needed something a bit more detailed that really catered to my my situation and, and my upbringing. And then I read in Mark chapter chapter 11 where Jesus said this particular kind of demon doesn't come out uh, but by, and then he gave the strategy to remove that demon. And the disciples asked, and they said, uh, well, why couldn't we cast it out? And he said, because this kind. And that statement right there, not the praying and fasting part, but the part that where he said this kind, that opened me up that I I think I need to find out what is this kind of strategy to deal with this kind of demon. So that's how it started for me. Um, and I think it might have been a process of about, I would say, a good 11 years of getting delivered and then and stages progressively evolving, the revelation evolving and going deeper into at least my life. And then I realized, okay, when I finally got free, I said, if I'm dealing with this, and I'm more than sure there's a whole generation demographic of people that are also dealing with this. So I said, okay, God, help me. How can I uh, take my freedom and do like the man with Legion, help other people free and show how God had compassion on me? So it took about maybe six or seven years of compiling revelation and God forming it until finally I was comfortable enough to have a systematic uh, presentation to be able to help people get systematically set free, and thus uh, the secrets to deliverance, deliverance was born through, through that uh, progression of revelation and evolving of, of strategies to help people get delivered for some of their deeper bondages. That's where it started from. Well, you know, you were mentioning about the usual stuff that you were delivered from, but what was the harder things that you got delivered from? What was really 
What was like sort of the thing that, what was your thing, I guess, is my question. My thing was hip-hop culture. The church oh, to okay. this day does not know how to minister to that particular demographic. So I, I'm the byproduct, and I am from the culture of hip-hop or rap music or uh, the millennial, or, or at least Generation X. I'm from that particular uh, generation. I'm a Generation X guy. But um, hip-hop culture, and, at the, and the church, even to this day, still doesn't know how to minister to that particular demographic. And what comes with that particular uh, culture of people is abandonment, cold-heartedness, you know, uh, rage, uh, not anarchy, but more rage. It was a different, different group of demons uh, that, that come with that lifestyle that the church never even addressed as a demon um, because they're too busy either condemning it, criticizing hip-hop culture, or running away from it. So here I am looking to get free, and no pastor wanted to deal with some young guy, urban guy, getting saved um, from hip-hop because they have no idea what hip-hop really is, because they've been churched their whole life, and the ministry has never catered to that. So that's one demon that I would say, uh, at least in my situation, hip-hop culture or rap music or the culture that and the demons that come from that world, um, that's, that was me. So here I am. Now I'm able to address it, but that's one demon. Abandonment is another one. Deep abandonment, cold-heartedness. And what I mean by cold-hearted, it means the present modern evangelical model has made us to believe, especially the seeker-sensitive model, that every young man is void and looking for a father figure. He has a hole in his heart. I'm here to tell you that was not me. I didn't care about a father figure. I didn't have a hole in my heart. There was no void. I was not searching for a father figure or a mentor. I was a monster. I was inherently evil. I just did not care. So that's why the church was ineffective in reaching uh, this group, because they assumed they're just looking for a father figure. That was not me. I was a monster. I was shysty. I was grimy. I had that New York, South Bronx, evil, conniving, uh, cold, callous uh, heart. Um, no natural feeling. Didn't ha had no love. Immensely narcissistic. So the church was disillusioned to assume the youth is looking for, you know, love. I was not looking for love. So that's what I mean. When the demons that deal with that, the church did not know how to handle it. So in my book now, I deal with those particular demons so that we can get uh, the average inherently evil person to get saved, because not everybody's looking for truth. Some people are just inherently born evil, and that was, that was where I was. The only thing that I feared was I feared going to hell. That was the only thing. For some reason, I had a fear of that, but outside of that, I had no fear of nothing. So that's what I mean, the secrets of deliverance and dealing with demons of, uh, that are a bit more evolved is demons like the examples that I just mentioned now. Wow. You know, I have never heard anyone bring up the the hip hop culture before. That's fascinating, and um, especially New York. That's a huge uh, epicenter of that uh, that culture, and where hip hop initially came from. Bronx is where it originated, if I remember correctly, right? Bronx is where the culture was initially um, created, and then New York City embraced it, and then New now York, okay. it's a it's a global okay. phenomenon. Craziness! Wow. 
Super cool. Okay, so um, as we progress through this, now the the actual revelation that you got that inspired this, and how did this teach you to adjust your game? Like we always hear people saying, oh, well, this person is a is a prayer warrior, or we got to undertake spiritual warfare. And like a lot of things, I think, in Christianity, we hear the buzzwords so much that after a while, they kind of lose their meaning. We just kind of just accept it as they are. But what did how did this uh, this experience sort of teach you about that concept of spiritual warfare and how did this evolve things for you? Well, you hit it right on the head. In this book, if you notice, because I know that you're reading through it, I removed all the buzzwords. Mm, I yes, removed yes. a lot of the buzzwords because I know exactly what you're talking about. Because I've been a pastor for 16 years, serving as lead pastor. And what I have found is that there are certain trigger words that either misrepresent deliverance or turn the pastor completely off. So what I tried to do is I tried to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. So I removed all of the trigger words and I found I found some sort of a, a more a covert way to talk about the same things, but just changing the terminologies. Um, and what I have found is because I've done that, or at least I've attempted to do that, people and even the pastors that maybe in days gone by might have been anti-deliverance is at least rediscovering it or re taking a revisitation of it. They're re-looking at it. So here's what I found as a pastor is most pastors are not, against deliverance. They're against deliverance ministers who don't know what they're doing. That's what I have found. That's what I have found is that most pastors are not anti-deliverance. They're against deliverance ministers who are spooky, who, have, who are not theologically sound, um, who are unregulatedly ze- zealous, which means they have this unregulated zeal. Um, it's spooky. It's not systematic. It's not coherent. It's not sound. It makes no sense. So what I have, tr- as a pastor, I'm looking at it pastorally, because apostolically, you know, the the the, the apostolic office is, is a bit different. We're more of reforming, uh, trailblazing. We could care less if people embrace it or not. We we tr- we blaze a trail. The pastor's mind is different. The pastoral office is more guarding, logic, reason. How do I nurture this? Okay, this doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I need systematic. Uh, how do I properly put this in place? Because because of that. So I said, okay, God, how do I do this? And what I found is um, restructure this whole thing, present it like Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Here's what people have failed to realize, is that before Jesus introduced the manifestation of deliverance, he first introduced the teaching of deliverance. Mark chapter 1 says, he started teaching, and they said to themselves, what new teaching is this? For with authority, even demons listen to him. So he was teaching first. So by the time he uh, systematically presented it theologically, logically, or at least reason, reasonably, uh, by the time he got to manifestation, they were already open. They were willing. They were willing to say, okay, this is a whole new teaching. So deliverance is first doctrine, because they said what new doctrine is. So it's teaching first. You do the teaching. Once they understand the teaching, you systematically break it down so that they could see it. By the time you get to Let's do this. Let's manifest. They willingly open up. So pastors, their issue is it doesn't make sense. You guys are just throwing books at us, telling us, cast demons out, and obviously we will. Uh, You're telling us to embrace this for our churches, but how do we do that uh, without 
you know, culture shocking our congregation or losing, uh, you know, a large percentage of our church. So in this book, I've tried my best to um, systematically break it down. And that way I could tell pastors, hey, listen, I know you see what I see. Half your membership is struggling. And I know you know that you're responsible to help them get free. So you're looking to deliverance ministers, but what you're seeing is spookiness and wackiness and fanaticism and extremism. And you're saying, well, I'm not going to embrace that in our church because that looks like voodoo. I'm not doing that. So I'm trying to at least contribute to the cleaning up of deliverance so that way pastors can readily open up and realize that they need a new strategy because the demons that they're dealing with now, as you said, have evolved. They know our counterattack, and they have a counterattack to our counterattack. So I'm hoping to counterattack their counterattack to our counterattack. So that way we can stay ahead of the game and not be reactionary, but rather we're instituting it rather than reacting based on getting punches getting punched and then punching back no we punch first and therefore never let them punch us so that's where i believe i'm hoping that this book can contribute to to that an upgrade in strategy you know it's interesting too because um we look at some of the as you referenced before some of the books like from the 70s and from the 80s and when a lot of times in the church people hear deliverance ministry they think oh that was back in the 80s and it's one of those things where it was like an old trend but i i personally feel that if you kind of look at what's going on in the world you, clearly demons are evolving i personally feel that they're obviously they're already defeated and i think they realize that they're coming ultimately to their end and, you know, it's just like as you're coming to your end, you start throwing everything you have out there. So what I'm telling to the listeners is that you're going to start seeing more and more of this stuff. You're going to see a full court press coming your way. And also what I'm telling you is, is that this isn't something of the 70s and 80s. I personally feel deliverance is a ministry of the future because people are getting seriously hardcore wrapped up in stuff. In a lot of cases, things we've never seen to this degree before. So it the, the the press is on is what I'm trying to tell you. So this is something, listeners, you really need to pay attention to. And uh, Alexander, what I'd like to kind of pivot to is um, in your book, you were mentioning about an example using the temple, which I thought was really neat, and how it sort of parallels with the body. Because, you know, in this covenant, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you made a connection between the two. Tell us about how you started piecing that together. I pieced that together. Um, well, one, I was watching a movie. I was watching X-Men First Class um, with my children, and there was a part in the movie where, obviously, the leader of the X-Men, Charles Xavier, who's considered in the movie the most powerful mutant because of his ability to read minds and control minds. He was trying to read the mind of another mutant called Emma Frost. Um, and her particular mutant power was to crystallize herself into a diamond form. So when she was, when he was trying to read her mind, she crystallized and she told him telepathically, she said, you can't read my, you can't read me while I'm like this. And in the movie screen, they showed her like a broken glass uh, with the ref with her reflection on each piece, so it it was you saw 
different pieces of her, but it wasn't a whole picture. And instantly I caught a revelation because at that time when I was watching the movie, I myself was dealing with some stuff, as I mentioned earlier, seeking my own freedom, you know, and I said, I had been asking God, God, why is it that in some areas, this was my initial prayer, God, how is it that in some areas of my life, I'm phenomenal, and in other areas, I have lost control. And I hadn't gotten the answer until I watched this movie. And in the movie, there were different pieces of her, bigger and smaller. And right there, the Holy Spirit just literally said, this, this is the same reason why the Holy Spirit uh, can't deliver you, because in some areas are bigger than others. The areas that are bigger, he can work with in your, in your life more. The areas that are smaller, it's harder for him to work. That's initially how it started. And as usual, you can't just be an experiential Christian. You have to back it up and support it with Scripture, proper exegesis. I said, okay, Lord, I know in my heart that this is a revelation. I just need Scripture to back this up. So within a month or two, I read in the book of Psalms, he tears my soul in pieces while there's none to deliver. And instantly I realized, oh my God, that the soul can be torn in pieces. And each piece represents a part of us or a role that we play. I connected that with 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul said we prophesy in part as if looking in a mirror. And I said, oh, my God, there it is again. So that's kind of like how it started for me. Then the ultimate verse and truth came to me, reading John chapter 2, where the Pharisees asked Jesus and said, what authority do you do this thing? And he said, tear this temple down and in three days raise it up. The next verse says, when he said temple, he meant his body. And that part for me was like like the key that opened or like the, the, the wrench that opened the fire hydrant, a flood of revelation. And I realized that temple means body. So right there, the Holy Spirit said to me, I want you to go back all throughout from the beginning of Solomon all the way to first and second Kings. And I want you to read about everything that happened in the temple and parallel it to the body, using John chapter 2, that the temple meant body. And that's how uh, it went from pieces of a shattered glass, each glass represents a part of us, to each glass is a room. The room in the temple represents roles that we play. So I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a brother, I'm a pastor, I'm also, uh, I have a nationality, I'm also a New Yorker, and each of these rooms represent a part of my personality uh, that needs to be delivered. And that's when the Holy Spirit said, my people, uh, because of the first level of deliverance, have only dealt with deliverance in the outer court, holy place, and most holy place, but they did not focus on the rooms that Solomon also built in the temple, and each of these rooms represent a part of us. Then I found it in Ezekiel, and the whole book of Ezekiel um, is literally God showing Ezekiel all that's happening in the rooms, and that's how it started up until this day. So it went from shattered glass the glass represents a fragment. The fragment is a room, and the room are roles, and these roles are part of our personality. And then Ezekiel goes into, you know, cleansing of the rooms, and that's how 
And all of that is in this book. That's how it initially started, and that's how I got it. And that took about maybe seven years, seven years of forming that. What was interesting, too, about that is that when you break down the Temple of Solomon, outer court, inner court, most holy, you parallel that with body, soul, spirit, with different levels of where things can exist. And then you had things like windows that were in the temple, which had ventilation, a light, were entry points, pretty much. And then you coupled that with eyes, ears, nose, mouth, skin, hair, nails, stuff I've never heard before. And then three levels of stuff. That's on page 36 in the book where there's a chart on that. And... This is a topic that I hear a lot through deliverance ministry, and it's always about openings. And like when when I teach uh, healing for people, I say we minister for healing. We're looking for any change or what I call any opening. And once we find that opening, we attack the opening. So it's very similar to, you know, warfare is warfare. And when the enemy does this, he also looks for openings or entrances and exits, as you refer to them. And then he attacks those entrances and exits. Can you tie all that together for us with like body parts, for instance? Very simple. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 43 through 45, you find uh, the Lord speaking uh, directly to the prophet Ezekiel, um, and actually telling him, Son of man, I want you to pay close attention to the entrances and the exits of the temple. And then the next verse says, and study its plan. Study its plan. And then the verse after that says, and then show my people their transgressions. So that's initially how the Holy Spirit began to deal with me and said, I need you to study its plan, not just the entrances and the exits, go further into that. So the next verse says it's decrees and regulations. And most deliverance books tell you about the entrances and the exits, but they don't tell you about the decrees and the regulations and the specifications. They tell you, okay, your eye gates, your ear gates, your mouth and your nails. Obviously, that's more of the basic entry level. But what about the eyes? What about the ears? So what I do is try to tie that into the book of Leviticus. The, the book of Leviticus, there's, there's an enormous amount of verses that actually talk to us about the inward parts of the sacrifice. See, we're too busy talking about the burnt offering, the sacrifice, but there are an enormous amount of verses where God is saying, I need you to take out the kidney. I need you to remove the liver, clean the liver, clean the kidney, and offer that up unto me. Now, normally we just brush that off and bypass that. I did throughout the years. Okay, it's a kidney. All right, it's a kidney. But the Lord began to say, I want you to study that. I want you to look into that. I need you to see the typology in that. And then he connected that with Leviticus uh, 14 about contaminated houses and the mildew on the walls. The mildew on the walls. So that began to uh, I began to look into that because it also talks about the coloring, the red. If you see red mildew, it means contamination. If you see green, it's 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 slowing down and things like that. So I kind of like tied all of that concerning the human spirit as well as the typology of being a house and learning the decrees. So what I found is instead of just guarding your eyes, understand what makes the eyes work. Understand what makes the nails work. There's even verses about when a lady gets uh, converts to Judaism under the Old Testament as a Gentile or a foreigner. She used to shave her hair and cut her nails. We read that and just think, you know, uh, legalism, you know, some sort of ritual, but actually there's spiritual implications there. You know, there, there's something there in the New Testament uh, that's a type in a shadow in the Old Testament. So I tied all of that together and 
God began to show me, well, this, this means that, that means this, and hopefully shed some light as to don't just guard your eyes, understand the purpose of it. Understand the lamp of the body is the eye. If the eye be evil or, or contaminated, the Bible says the whole body will be full of darkness. Now, that makes sense to me now, rather than saying, just guard your mind. When I understand the regulations of the eye, it has the potential to darken my whole body. So why? So therefore, that causes me to be more zealous in guarding myself rather than just standing in the front of my window saying, I'm not going to let the devil in. Uh, then, then the devil's still controlling me. But understand the purpose of a window. When I understand the purpose of a window, I'm not spending, like right now, I'm in my, my living room in my, looking at my backyard. I'm not guarding for birds. I'm enjoying my window. So that's what I'm trying to help people understand in this book through deliverance so that way they can understand the specifications and the, uh, the regulations of the window so that we don't spend our Christian experience fighting the darkness rather than opening the window and turning on the lights. Something you said really resonated with me a second ago. You were mentioning about legalism when reading some of these things. And, you know, in, in stuff that I do, I've been accused of, oh, you just throw away the entire Old Testament, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, no, no. You were saying about the whole legalism thing. And I think what happens is is that, like you were saying, people sort of get so focused on, you know, I guess what was the ritual. And it's what they call majoring on the minors. It's that you're so hooked in on what does this particular function look like as opposed to what's the message God's trying to give you through it. Right. And I think that's sort of where I, you know, that's where I get the criticism from. And that's, I guess what I'm saying is I'm not discounting that. I'm hitting it from a different direction because it's, it's I see it as a different function, kind of like you were explaining. And so when you're dealing with this, when you're dealing with these, these rooms and these uh, areas, how do you identify the demons that function in these rooms as opposed to just the standard, you know, like rejection, like you were talking about earlier. How do you how do you make the distinction? Well, first, let me just piggyback on what you just said uh, concerning majoring in the minors. That is why the opening segment after the introduction in my book, I go right into addressing that with the Apostle Paul talking about First um, Corinthians 9 in reference to the ox. And then he says, he references the Old Testament saying, you shall not muzzle uh, what, what the ox is treading out, right? And then Paul goes and on to say this. He says, does God care about ox? He actually says that. He says, of course he does it. Now, we know that he actually does. Paul is not saying that God doesn't care about his creation of an ox, but he says he wrote it for us. So now that opens up a whole new world. So ox in the Old Testament, according to Paul, it's the minister in the New Testament. So those are not minors. So every time we read an ox in the Old Testament, it was a literal ox, but there's a typology there that, that really means the minister in the New Testament. So there has to be an inclusion of the Old Testament in the New. What I'm looking to do, like what many of your listeners accuse you of, is uh, looking at it from a different perspective. No, I'm looking at it 
in its original intention for New Testament dispensation. The problem is, is that most of you and you and I know this because we we think outside the box. We're trailblazers. We, you know, we're we're pioneers of, of schools of thought. Is most modern evangelicals are stuck in a certain box and a paradigm. So anything outside of that becomes either heresy or weird or extreme. And the truth of the matter is, is that no, we're actually seeing things from its original intention. It's, it meant this in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, it means that. So that's how I've been able, leading to your present question is, I've been able to identify a bit more um, a newer, evolved type of demon. I mean, all demons are the same. It's the same demons that fell from heaven, but their workings become evolved is because I have Old Testament strategies. Like the whole book of Judges is about a deliverer. So um, it's really a tactical book of strategies of how to conduct deliverance in the New Testament. For us, the book of Judges, you know, when Samson used the jawbone of a donkey, what does that mean? You're not gonna, I'm not going to sit here and look for a jawbone of a donkey, but what does it mean? It means that Samson didn't have a weapon with him, so he used whatever he had. So during deliverance, sometimes I might not have my bottle of oil on me. And I'm not going to sit here and say, hold off, go get me my bottle of oil. No, I'm going to use something. Bring me that handkerchief. Well, the Apostle Paul did that. Bring me a handkerchief. I'm not going to go over there. Let's anoint these handkerchiefs, send them. Now, where did he learn that from? Old Testament talks about the power of transference from the priests. The priest's garments were sanctified and holy when the Bible says whoever touched it became holy and sanctified. Well, those are majors in Old Testament verses, you know. So with that in mind, when I'm conducting a deliverance session, I'm not bound by a cookie-cutter formula of, say Jesus, come on, say Jesus, uh, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, <laughs> yeah. the blood of Jesus. Yeah. You know, that's what I've seen. Now, amen, that works at times. But I've seen evolved religious spirits that resist the blood. I've seen them with my own eyes. They'll fight you with that. They'll, that I, oh, that's like me in the middle of a deliverance, start doing and then you get that religious demonic demon looking at you speaking demonic tongues. Then what you going to do? Because both of you are shouting at each other in tongues. That's the foolishness or the immaturity that we see of people that go into cookie cutter formulas and don't know how to conduct deliverance. So they're just going by what they read in a book or what they've seen someone else do. But when you understand the purposes of the human temple, when you're looking at someone, you're not just looking at outer court, holy place, most holy place. You're looking, you understand the decrees, you understand the regulations of that body part. Let me give you an example. When I'm doing deliverance and someone's hands crunch in like if they, like if they have arthritis, well, sometimes you might be dealing with a demon of arthritis, but nine out of ten times you're dealing with a demon of masturbation without a shadow of a doubt. I've seen that time and time again because I understand the function of a hand and, and the hands are used for masturbation. So when I'm conducting deliverance, someone's hands start, their fingers start contorting and turning in and twisting abnormally. I already know because I understand the regulations of the hands that that's a demon of masturbation. So I'll say demon of masturbation or demon of lust come out of the hands now in Jesus' name. There's instant freedom. 
instant freedom without a shadow of a doubt. Let me give you another example. When I'm doing deliverance on someone uh, that's homosexual, um, now that's a whole other can of worms. Sometimes it requires more than deliverance. There's, there's counseling and there's, you know, discipline that needs to get involved. But let's just say I'm doing a deliverance. So I'm doing a deliverance on, let's say, a male, and he's dealing with homosexuality. And, I, and this I learned by experimentation. I heard one day tell me, the Holy Spirit said, command the demons in the, in the anus to come out. Command the demons in the anus to come out. And I ain't going to lie. I had to tell the, tell the guy, I'm about to say something that's going to sound very vulgar, but just ride with me. The Holy Spirit saying, telling me to say something. Just understand, please don't get embarrassed when I'm going to say something. And I just said, you unclean spirit, come out. Demons of homosexuality hiding in the anus. Come out of him now, in Jesus' name. There was the, the, the homosexual screamed. He literally just shrieked. And there were, there were demons literally hiding in that body part. Why? Because I know that I know the regulations of the anus. And we know that the, that the regulations of the anus, in order to do homosexuality, it has to be misused. So that's what I mean in the book concerning understanding the proper protocols. Let me give you another one. When I was dealing with a young lady who's lesbian, I attacked the demons hiding on a tongue. I say, because why? Because the tongue is required for oral sex. So I say, you unclean spirit of lesbianism, come out of the tongue now, in Jesus' name. Instant manifestation or instant resistance, without a shadow of a doubt. And then you follow that trail to everybody part, as the Holy Spirit shows you. What's really wild about what you were just explaining with those cases was, is that each of those topics are very taboo to talk about in church, and they're taboo to talk about in culture in that aspect of it. What's really interesting is that the resistance that the enemy has set up from going after that is not only spiritual, but there's cultural on top of it. It's a full court press is what I was trying to say earlier. I mean, you've seen that happen. I'm sure people have come up against you for that, no? Well, yeah. Um, in the beginning, uh, initially, um, there were there was a lot of resistance in the beginning. There was a lot of resistance. Uh, the the only thing uh, with me was because I've always been scripturally sound. Um, the pastors they resisted me, but they they couldn't resist scripture. They, they, what they would say in the beginning was, "You just got a very weird way of viewing scripture. Be careful, my brother, because that could be a spirit of error." Like that in the beginning, I got accused. Uh, I got accused of error a lot, not heresy or whatever. Because you you know when somebody's in heresy, the Holy Spirit will show you. They couldn't they couldn't say that of me, but I got accused. The biggest accusation that I get from people is that I have a heavy mantle for error uh, when it comes to the scriptures. Uh, that's been my biggest accusation. But um, after a while, many of those pastors they end up embracing um, what I'm saying, but it, it takes time. It just takes time. When they embrace it, um, then they come back and usually say, man of God, I see it now. I didn't see it, but I see it. But error, yeah, I get accused of error a lot. To this day, they still accuse me of, of error. Yeah, you know, and that's part of our whole experience here is we, we get into comfort zones. We like to stay with comfort. We like to stay with what works. And unfortunately, it works, but only for a period. And it, it's, you know, that's why when I do my intro, I sort of tongue in cheek call myself the resident heretic because I get accused of that all the time. And it's not that, you know, I'm not trying to be a heretic. I'm trying to explore what is in this kingdom. I mean, you can't tell me this is all that there is to God. I mean, there's got to be more than what we see on our surface here. 
And so, you know, I kind of, you know, jab at people for that, which is why I do that. And uh, but it's interesting because there's that old saying that yesterday's heretics are today's heroes because somebody had to step out at some point and say, guys, this is take a different look at this. And that's, you know, what I hope we're trying to do here. And so when you deal with those certain oddities, if you will, or just this new way of doing it. If someone is dealing with something, how do they eradicate these demons? Because like in that case I mentioned earlier where we were just this this thing just waited us out until we had to leave. And if you're not getting the full thing that you want or anything, how does one eradicate these these evolved demons from their soul? What's what's the final say here? Right. Well, very, 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 very easy. Um, number one is that we're not Jesus. Second, at least for me, I finished the deliverance session and I know I went as far as I can go with this particular session and I quarantine. I quarantine it, which means I lock it in a cave. Well, not a literal cave, but I lock it like Joshua chapter 10. And then I realize either I need some more insight into this area or... I'm not the person assigned to get them delivered from that particular demon. But I would say this, they'll get delivered from what I'm supposed to deliver them from or help them get free from. And if that other area has proven to be the most resistant for me, um, then I realize either I'm not the one to help them get that freedom, I'm going to focus on the areas that I can get them free on, or you have to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to show you, okay, what is it that they're doing? That might that they they might not be ready for. And here's what I this is what I tell people all the time, is is that a deliver I never do a deliverance if I don't sense the green light. I have people that just kind of fly into my church, or they'll just show up, drive in from five hours later. Most sometimes I attend to them. Sometimes I don't attend to them. And and just because they drove in doesn't mean I have to stop what I'm doing and attend to them because they drove in. If I don't sense the green light, uh, which means heaven's endorsement to get them free then um, I just tell them, listen, man, I, I don't sense it, you know? And, you know, and for the people that are dealing with that, let's say, on their end, let's say they're the one looking to get set free, I, I, I would encourage them, well, one, get this book, because I know you can, they'll get set free from something, but I would say keep pursuing truth, because deliverance is not a power encounter. It's a truth encounter. You know the truth, the truth will set you free. Just keep pursuing Keep showing God you want to be free. And like me, eventually, like I have a joke, I say eventually they'll get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop. That's an old <laughs> yep. commercial yep, that yep. we had. You remember, right, in here I in do. New York and New I Jersey. I, that's my joke. I say you keep licking until you get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop, which means you keep ser searching until you find the treasure hidden in the field. And when you find it, give everything and get free. Mine took me... Uh, like I told you, a process of about maybe seven to 11 years of getting free. And now that I finally got free, I wrote it in a book to help people at least speed up that process. So um, some of us are tougher than others. Don't give up. And I would encourage your listeners, if you're listening to me and you are like, well, man, I, they don't understand my demons that I deal with. You're right. We don't understand. But I do understand that you are to keep pursuing truth and you keep searching until God reveals the real root of a problem. And when he does, he will send you the right minister to help you get set free. In the meantime, buy every book you can on deliverance and keep, getting, and keep uh, loosening yourself up until you get to the place of 
total freedom in Christ. Yeah, I want to add on to that two things just for the audience, if it would help you guys along with this, is um, there was one time with my little boy when he was uh, he was dealing with an asthma situation, and it's been one of those things we've been fighting for quite a while. And one time when he got a pretty bad fever and sickness, I one time I ministered over him for healing, fever broke instantly, done, right? The same thing happened again. I did the same exact thing. This time it didn't work. And I got really mad. And you, know, you get in those things where you kind of tangle with God and <laughs> you know how that is, guys. Let's be honest. And it was months and months later after everything had resolved itself, I was kind of communing with Holy Spirit one day. And I said, holy, what's going on here, man? What happened? And his response to me was, you were speaking to the wrong mountain. So the question is, you know, speak to the mountain, it'll move and all that stuff. But yeah, you can speak to the mountain, but is it the right one you're speaking to? Because you were saying earlier, if you're going after something that manifests in your body a certain way, you may be targeting something and it may be hitting from a whole different direction. So that's something to be aware of. It's discernment, you know, like you were saying with the green light and kind of paying attention and uh, when you get revelation about stuff. So there's part one to that. And then when we were talking about uh, Old Testament and how it sort of ties in, my favorite Bible verse is Proverbs 25, too, about how it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to go search it out. So since you're a king and a priest, right, the, what I'm trying to say is, is that there's always more to the story. And that's something that I, I people don't like that all the time because it's uncomfortable. But the fact is, there's always more to the story. There is no end to this stuff. It's like as soon as you open a box, there's 10 more boxes inside. You got to keep drilling down. There's nothing else you can do with it. So. Just wanted to throw that out for the audience for just to, just to cogitate on, if you will. And um, if kind of rounding this up now, if if someone is interested in maybe ministering deliverance, maybe it's something they've heard about, maybe they feel something or maybe they like you said, there's no other choice. Something happens and they have to handle it. Someone that's a novice to this. What, what do they do? How, like, how, how does the rubber meet the road here? <laughs> Well, it depends. Um, I would encourage them to follow the same uh, path that the rest of us have followed. If you're sensing that God is calling you to the ministry of deliverance, then as in any ministry, prepare yourself. You prepare yourself. Buy every book you can on uh, the ministry of deliverance and familiarize yourself. Um, I think this present generation has an advantage uh, as opposed to the disadvantage that we had because when we were you know, coming up in ministry, and I've been saved since 1992, deliverance ministers were just writing their books, you know, or uh, they didn't have the resources. You had to go to an event where they were at to buy a book from them, you know? So it wasn't like you could just readily... There weren't really that many Christian bookstores, so it took us a lot longer to get uh, upgraded or at least familiarized or at least, you know, uh, an awareness of deliverance. But this generation, they have the blessing of just going online and looking up the topic and, and just buying various books. So I would encourage them, number one, at least uh, buy the material, familiarize yourself with it. Three, stay committed to a local fellowship. Stay submitted under a pastor and advise your pastor um, that, you know, you're going down this particular particular path, you know, and make and rest assure them and make sure that you let them know that you're not going to get spooky and wacky because they'll try to stop you and say, no, get away, stay away from that. You know, um, just let them know. Th three, um, fellowship with other deliverance ministers. And when you hear about a deliverance event that's happening or there's a gathering of like a deliverance conference, go out there and fellowship with other uh, deliverance ministers as iron sharpens iron. Get in a gathering of iron sharpeners of deliverance ministries. There's a lot of people that are still doing deliverance. I, I'm always invited to a deliverance event, you know, and I'm helping 
teaching and training and activating. And I would say this fourth thing is allow God to work on your character and your personality. Now, let him mold you, like let him really set you free um, because you can't minister what you yourself don't have, you know. So allow him to just work on that. And it's going to be tough. He's going to really deal with you, you know. I end with this. Deliverance ministers are at the forefront of God's uh, list, and I'm going to tell you why. Because in the end, Matthew 7 says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And in the first group that he calls forward are the deliverance ministers because the first group to oppose uh, that statement when Jesus said, I never knew you, was the deliverance group. They said, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? And he said, depart from me, I never knew you. So deliverance, the deliverance ministry is at the forefront of God's of God's list of ministries. So if we're at the front, he deals with us the harshest. He, deal with, he deals with us the most. You know, and there's going to be certain things that the deliverance minister, the Christian can do, the deliverance minister cannot do. You know, he'll begin to castrate them from Christian liberties that can be done in Christ, but he just don't want them doing it. You know, so I'd say follow that trail, and I, I will eventually run into you on the road because there's not a lot of us doing deliverance so eventually we'll all bump into each other so i see you soon for those of you that are listening that are going to jump into this ministry we will encounter each other eventually yeah and so what i'd like to add on to that is almost like spider-man thing with great power comes great responsibility number one and uh, number two is as you're fellowshipping and as your iron sharpens iron something i've been on a lot lately is because, you know, amongst ministers and amongst people in different branches and all that, we get friction a lot of times and we are quick to kind of go at each other. And the biggest thing I'll tell you about that is don't let that dissuade you from continuing the conversation. And I say that because if iron sharpens iron, in other words, friction, because out of friction comes innovation. If all we have is an echo chamber where everybody's saying the same thing, the art dies in there. And, you know, stuff, revelation dies in an echo chamber because nobody's saying anything different. Oh, that's so good. That's a little good. bit of friction is okay. So, and, and, you know, that's why I say it. truth is truth no matter who speaks it. If someone you totally disagree with says the truth, it's still the truth. And so a friend of mine explained to me, she said, pull the gold out. And that's the best way I could put it to you. So don't be afraid of, you know, mixing it up a little bit. This is, you know, this is sort of why I do what I do here at the ministry. I like to prod people a little bit because friction brings about growth and that's okay. We could still be friends and we could still disagree, and that's cool. But speaking of prodding a little bit, Alexander, I'd like to ask you a favor. We have listeners all over the world. We have people that I know for a fact dealing with things or trying to get set free of it. I would like to do a little prayer time with you, and I'd like to have you pray for our listening audience. I would like you to trigger every demon you could think of and just get them all wound up, get them to the surface. Because once it's like whack-a-mole. Once they stick their head up, let's knock the crap out of them. So would you please pray for our audience, and let's get people wound up. Amen. Okay. For those of you that are listening to me, whether you're listening it to it um, on a future date, here's what I want you to understand, that whatever is inside of you is also listening to me. Uh, deliverance is a legal exchange. If you find the right law, Satan has to release you. And I want you to repeat this prayer after me to begin the process of your deliverance. Just repeat this prayer. Say, Heavenly Father. I realize that I am in desperate need 
of deeper deliverance. Holy Spirit, I give you authority to go into every room that says, do not enter, open the door, and turn on the lights. Satan and every demon living inside these rooms, I command you, leave me now, pack your bags, and come out of me in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, I ask you to begin the deliverance process in every room I give you access in your name. Amen and amen. My friend, if you said that prayer, understand, it might, you might not feel like anything, but demons understand the legalities of the courtroom of heaven. If you meant it, and if they heard it, and if they heard you say it, they will respond. Second, I decree that an angel assigned to your freedom, the, I decree that the angel assigned to your life that's listening to me now would begin to work of helping you follow through on your deliverance process until you're completely set free in Jesus' mighty name. And I bind every devil. I bind all contracts and all counterattacks and all forms of backlash. I come against you by the authority of the courtroom of heaven. And in the name of Jesus Christ, you will begin to respond to the prayer of my brothers and sisters and find your exit out of them now in Jesus' name. And if you resist, there will be force given and applied by the courtroom of heaven to extract you forcibly. In Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, I release you upon these listeners and these viewers. Holy Spirit, work on them as you worked on me and get them deeply set free. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, amen. man. My spirit is doing backflips like a little Romanian girl right now. <laughs> that is good stuff, man. Super good. So the book is called The Secrets to Deliverance, Defeat the Toughest Cases of Demonic Bondage. Alexander Pagani. Now, if he was, if he could deal with it, some of the big stuff, a, a New York Bronx guy, if that can get set free, you can get set free as well. Alex, how's the book doing so far and where can people find copies of it? The book is doing absolutely well. We've reached number one um, all over the country, all over the world for Kindle and both paperback. The fastest way you can reach uh, and purchase your copy would probably be on Amazon, uh, uh, .com, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, or Christian Book Distributor, or you could just buy it directly from CharismaHouse.com uh, um, as they're the, uh, the publishing company that is releasing this book, or they can find me on Facebook at Alexander Pagani Ministries, um, my Facebook page. And when they go on there, there'll be some links there. And um, I would encourage them to listen and follow the page and then stay up to date on what we're doing and where we're going to be ministering deliverance next. And was there a website and email address as well that you have? Well, very simple, um, alexanderpagani.com or I am Pagani. That's I A M. P-A-G-A-N-I at AOL.com. That'll lead directly uh, to uh, our ministry. And then um, me or my wife or someone from our staff will respond very promptly. 
So listeners, there you have it. This is a a phenomenal topic modernized for today that you need to know and you need to get a hold of. Again, this is this isn't the, the a ministry of the past. This is the ministry of right now in the future and you need to get on this guys. Uh Alexander Alexander last thing um final takeaway that you want the readers to have from this book. Bottom line, what what do they do they get out of this? That deliverance is not fighting the darkness, it's turning on the light. It's total dependence on the Holy Spirit to reveal the root of a problem and patiently waiting for him to give them the strategy on how to eradicate it. So it's just a total dependence on the Holy Spirit to reveal the strategy to find the deepest root. More than anything, that's what I want them to come out, is a deeper trust and dependency on the Holy Spirit as opposed to studying the demonic. I want them to fall in love and be intimate with the Holy Spirit. Alexander, been a wonderful time with you. Thank you so much for being here with us today, and our best to you going forward. Thank you for having me on. And listeners, before we uh, cut out of here, I just want to thank you again for being here as part of this. Please uh, leave your comments. You're welcome to email us with your feedback and testimonies. If you get this book or this uh, heard this message and you've received something from this, let us know. You can uh, email. Everything's through dominionfire.com. All of our social media's emails, everything is all up on it. So go to dominionfire.com and find us. And uh, also check out other episodes of Dominion Fire 360, the Heal the Sick podcast, the DeFire vlog, as well as everything that's on our main page at dominionfire.com. And we thank you always for being here. Boom goes Yeshua, and we will see you next time.